0: Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One oh, God. Amen. So love, sexuality, and, you know, begs, it all kind of begs the question, what does an ancient church and an ancient faith have to say about this? You know, there's been 2,000 years of people before us, uh, and and what do they have to say um, about all of this stuff? And there's lots of questions that we have, and that, that, that um, you may have, but I spend at least, I try to spend at least half of my time, it ends up being more like a quarter of my time, with people who aren't Christian at all. And I find it really informs my, my worldview, and it really forces me to question things. And people ask these questions, why not sex before marriage, or why sex before marriage? Or what about what's a Christian attitude towards homosexuality and transgender persons and the LGBT community? Uh, um, and where does this all fit in with faith, with friends, with a life partner? You know, like uh, romantic love, platonic love. Like how does this? How does this all? Is this all understood um, in an Orthodox Christian understanding? And we'll find that I found that it was vastly different for me from, um, from what, you know, you kind of hear in the world. I have to say, I kind of started on this journey of really, really looking into this stuff probably when I was about 18 or 19 or so. And the thought crossed my mind, like, if, if, um, if sex and, and all of this is about procreation alone, just for the sake of propagating the species then why did God not make us like deer right like you know mating season comes along you do your thing you know right and like the you know females in the in the species get pregnant and then like life goes on you know next year mating season if it was particularly good you go looking for the same partner if it wasn't you find yourself somebody else right and the species gets propagated and everybody's happy right But there's so, there's so much, there must be a reason why God created us as such intricate and such complex beings, and part of that is sexual beings, right? We have a mind, we have a body, we have a spirit, and we have a sexual nature. And so, what is, where does that all kind of fit, um, where does that kind of all fit in? And then there's all the stuff that we see around us, right? Um, like, Like, this is... April is coming up and I was just we've been talking the last couple of days about how it's sort of like um, diversity month and how there's a real bent, particularly this year, towards um, diversity in regards to, to gender and transgendered persons and affirming that in the workplace and, and in school and so on. So how does that kind of all what do we what do we kind of do with all of that? Well, the best place to start if you want to understand anything in orthodoxy is always to start at the very beginning. There are three very basic premises upon which we un- like we believe and we understand everything as a function of them. The first is that God created the world and it was perfect and he created it out of love and there was no selfish intent from God there. The second is that it fell and it's fallen. And there's a certain brokenness, which we witness now. And the third is that Jesus Christ is restoring it through his crucifixion and his resurrection, which is an, on, which is an ongoing work, like a work which began at the, at the cross or began f- from the incarnation, from his Jesus taking flesh and has, you know, continued and was made perfect in, in Pentecost. Right? and is continuing in each one of us as much in as much as we participate in it. So Jesus did His part and now we are participating with Him um, uh, in that. And whenever it comes to talking about love, the best place to always look is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that our God is a deeply personal God and this isn't just um, like a warm and fuzzy thought, but it's actually a very like intellectual and theological thought. Even when you do the sign of the cross, right, however you do it, you take three fingers, you know, like the the correct teaching is you take your thumb and your uh, third and fourth fingers and put them together. Um, and there's a reason for that, and I won't go through all of it right now. But no matter which fingers you choose to take to oppose to your thumb, they will always be facing each other. The word personal comes comes from the Greek word persona, which means, very simply, the literal translation means face-to-face. i give you an example. A, a Russian uh, poet and novelist wrote saying that... Um, hell would be to be chained back to back to a person for eternity to converse with them forever but never to be able to see them face to face there's something about there's something about entering into a face-to-face conversation with somebody you know that is deeply personal that's what we understand as personal so the love that exists between the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Son, and the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, and the Spirit, and the Father, Spirit, and the Son, that that love is a deeply personal love, right? And God loves us with that same exact love. The word that we use in English for that is love, but again, referring back to the Greek, and the reason we keep referring back to Greek is partly because, like, Scripture was originally written in Greek, but also because like all of like philosophy kind of was written originally in greek so a lot of these thoughts they're just thoughts and they were expressed in that language and when they got translated maybe you know maybe some stuff got lost in translation right well this is one of those things that might have gotten lost in translation the word we use for love in english is love and we don't really have other words for it but in greek they have three words some t- some people say four Agape, philo, and eros. Agape is an altruistic love. Philo is a familiar or familial love, the kind of love you have with a friend, right? And eros is erotic love. And and the premise of everything that I'm talking about today is that God loves us with all three kinds of love. I know it's a little, might be like a cat scratching a chalkboard to your ears to hear that God loves you with an erotic love. You know, like, 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 I say erotic, you know, you have like, you know, like, like uh, strip clubs and all kinds of other naughty business going through your mind, right? You know, like maybe, you know, but that's not the real meaning of the word. So that's all kind of like, that's all kind of where, where, where we're kind of going with, with, uh, with all of this, but we're just going to unpack all of that and explain it all. Just to kind of get us warmed up, St. Dionysius writes, he says, God himself is our archetype Of love it is he the creator of all who out of extreme erotic loves move moves outside of himself and approaches humanity burning with great goodness and love and eros it is he who is the fullness of erotic love so obviously what st. Dionysius is talking about here is not um, like you know like the association that you and I may or may ha- not have with the word erotic, right? So, what is what is this kind of um, of eros? What is this kind of erotic love? And from that we'll be able to from that we'll be able to unpack all of these other kinds of questions. In First uh, John chapter four, verse ten says, "Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us." And elsewhere says that He loved us first. Right. So God moves out of great passionate love to create the universe and goes outside of himself. Right. And you'll notice that there's a lot of allusions to like sexuality with that. Right. You know, as and that's and this kind of goes back to like male and female um, roles. In the nor like the usual heterosexual relationship right the man goes outside of himself and projects outside of himself right I hope I don't scandalize you at all right but I invent any of this stuff like I have references for all for for all of this the trouble the reason why I'm worried to scandalize you is because we have some sort of dissociative disorder right where like God is like at church, you know, and like sex happens somewhere else and work happens at work. So I have my, I have my, I have my God life and then I have my work life and I have my social life and I have my, and I, and I have my, you know, my spiritual life. And then I, I, you know, I have my sex life and those things are all kind of separated, right? And like I, you know, and like these, this doesn't mix with that and this doesn't belong with that and that's just how it is, right? And so we're all, we've become fragmented, you know? And the reality is, like, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you only have one life. And when this one's done, that's it, <laughs> right? right? You go from here to, to, to the continuation of this life somewhere else. But I don't have multiple lives with multiple personalities uh, and, and multiple personas, and it's just one life. So the person that I am at work inevitably is going to be partly the person I am at church, is inevitably the person I'm going to be with my friends and inevitably is going to be somewhat the person I am in my bedroom, right? Because I'm just one person, no matter how fragmented I've made myself up to be in my head. Another big lie, according, again, this is all understanding things from an Orthodox Christian perspective. I respect everyone and anyone who views things differently. They're welcome to that. But I, I'm just telling you what I know. Like I can't tell you what, what other people say and believe. But from an Orthodox Christian perspective, we, we don't believe that our sexuality is an appetite. You know, it's like I'm hungry, I eat. I'm thirsty, I drink. I have sexual urges and I go fulfill them in whatever way that I need to, you know, to kind of, to, to like, kind of to like discharge those, that, that need. You know, that's not how we see it at all rather we see it we see it exactly as god god in his extreme erotic love pours himself out and creates something new so it's out of out of love out of a desire to give and a desire to pour himself out and we're going to talk a little bit more about that and a lot of the time when i'm talking with people who have Mild to moderate sexual addictions, like sexual addiction, is a real thing, and there's like a grading for it, and mild, moderate, and like progressed, and so on, and and there's and there's like different things we suggest for different things, and part of it is spiritual therapy, but sometimes other things are required. So for like when it's mild or moderate, right? Um, like a big part of it is is getting this getting this sorted out, that it's not. It's not like I'm hungry, I need to eat, you know, I have sexual urges, I need to fulfill them and if I don't, I will implode. You know what I mean? That's not that's not how that's not how we understand it at all, right? Rather it's a desire rather than a desire to take something or to or to fulfill some desire, some need or some lack, right? It's rather the opposite. It's a rather a desire to give, to pour myself, to pour myself out. And the reality is, is that God didn't create us to be individuals. The word individual doesn't exist almost anywhere in a positive sense in, 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 the, in the writings of the early church fathers. They don't see us as individuals at all. They see us as persons in community. That means that we're a community, and we're only made whole when every person is there. Have you ever like made a puzzle? Like when I was a kid, I used to, I used to love making puzzles, right? And then you make the puzzle once or twice or three times. Eventually, after, after some time, you start to lose some pieces, right? It's really heart-wrenching when you put the thousand-piece puzzle together and you find out like like the nose of the main character is missing. You know, like if it's like some corner or something like in the deep blue sea, it's not a big deal, right? But, like it, but if, it's, if it's right there front and center, just something is missing. Something is not right. I'll tell you another funny story. I do a lot of marriage prep counseling and uh, this one couple... Came to me and they were in a big fight. So I was talking to them, why? What's wrong? What are you What are you fighting over? She said. She tells me, I'm gonna tell him the story exactly as it happened. He goes. He says, Sure. Says it was just after New Year's. So she sent him out to go get some pizzas. So he goes out to get to pick up the pizzas and he calls her and he says, This pizza smells really good. I'm just gonna take one slice out on my and eat it on my way home. And she's like, Don't do that. We can't serve like you know, four pizzas, one of which is missing a slice, right? What does he do? He eats a slice of the pizza, right? Of course, like, she tears into him, and they're having this argument as they're, like, as they're coming out. They were scheduled to come and chat with me anyways, right? So we just had a really good laugh about it, but really, um, you know, something, when something is missing, something is missing. Like, you can tell that something's not right. And, from a much larger sense, not only about sexuality, but about everything else, about church, about the kingdom of heaven, about evangelism, like, the kingdom of heaven is not for me alone. It's for me and you and everybody else out there. They're all invited too. And it's gonna be a puzzle, a puzzle, missing an ear, missing a nose. It's gonna look dumb without everybody there, right? You know, like if uh, you have people over for dinner and you're waiting, like, people are supposed to arrive at 7.30 and it's like 7.45 and like four people, haven't shown up and then it's like 8 o'clock and there's like still two people haven't shown up and it's like, it's like 8.15 and there's still one person hasn't shown up and you're like, should we start eating or I don't know, the food's getting cold or, right? And then you insist, you say no, like, it's just not going to be right without that person, you know? That's what it's like. We're all meant... Forgive me again to the the sexual illusions, like, really relating to sexuality, like, anatomy, biology, like, use your imagination. All the bits and pieces were made to fit together. We were made to fit together. We were made to be together. Like, the, the gears are supposed to fit together, and everything is supposed to work. When one cog is missing, it doesn't work, right? So nobody, no one is an island. We were made for each other on a larger sense, in a communal sense, and also, also like in a sexual sense from, from the perspective of marriage. And there's a lot more that I could say about that, but we'll kind of end that comment there. You'll find that there is so much language used where God refers to us as his bride. In fact, the first few days of Holy Week, which is just about to, to come up, you'll notice that the evening Gospels, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, all have stories that have to do with the bridegroom. And just today, people I was sitting with during the daytime, by the way, if, anybody, if anybody's free during the daytime, I'd love to hang out with you. We were talking about. Like, what's the context of all of Jesus' parables uh, of marriage, right? And the, and the bridegroom, and, and the friend of the bridegroom, and how did all of that work? All of this because Jesus sees us as his bride, right? So all of this marriage language and all of this, it's not, um, it's not symbolism. We believe it to be simply a divine reality. He is my heavenly bridegroom. I'm in my engagement period now, and when I close my eyes for the last day and open them again, it will be my wedding day. So all of this is part and parcel, is part and parcel of that, right? Um, Multiple verses. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Remember, O faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband, I will choose you. And in 2 Corinthians, I quoting from the Old Testament, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. St. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. In Ephesians, we find that the most clear and beautiful teaching about the relationship between husband and wife, which is part of the readings um, in, uh, the, in the in the sacrament of marriage, right? And we find that St. Paul says, but I'm speaking about husband and wife, yes, but I'm actually speaking about a greater mystery, which is that of Christ and his church. In the book of Revelation, of course, we see like a glimpse, glimpses, uh, a pr- prophecy of of that wedding day. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. But the reality is that we are part and parcel of this broken world. All of us. And we've all experienced brokenness, and we've all experienced hurt and pain in some way. And um, like, I'm, uh, you know, a new dad, and I'm trying to be the best dad I can be, but I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm sure I'm going to leave my daughter with things that she's going to have to work through and, and overcome, you know? And I'll try to be the best icon of of God as a father, um, as I can be, but I'm sure, I'm sure that I'm not going to be perfect, despite my best intents. That's, that's not a cop-out, right? It's not a reason not to try. But so then what? So then what's the hope for the world, or the hope for my daughter, or the hope, right? the hope is Jesus and that in his revealing of himself he will put all the pieces back together again and make us whole. That's what we can hope for. And if that isn't consolation enough, in the, in Song of Songs it says for love is as strong as death. So like what's the ultimate brokenness, the ultimate defeat of this life is death. Like and the separation that comes as a a part of it. But Song of Songs is telling us that love is still still greater. And there's nowhere we see that love more clearly than on the cross. Right? Jesus says, there is no love greater than this, than that one should give up his life for his friends. And here's where we see this, another Greek word, this kenosis, this self-emptying love, where Jesus climbs up on the cross, naked. This, uh, this uh, loincloth over here, that, that wasn't there 2,000 years ago. That's because we're shy, and we don't want to draw Jesus with all of his anatomy on display. But it was on display. Some people, some crucifixion practices from back then were to hang the crosses very high, and other historical records show that they hung them at eye level so that they could spit in the face of the person who was crucified. Either way, either he was on, you know, on on public display, eight feet above the ground, right? Buck naked for three or four hours, or he was right eye level so that he could be shamed publicly. Either way, Jesus emptied himself completely he didn't reserve any honor or dignity to himself, but he gave it all up. Why? For you, for me, because he loves us. If this is an act of love, this is exactly, this is the pan-ultimate, this is the perfect, erotic act of love. Why? It fills, fulfills all the characteristics of, uh, of, of Eros, which we're gonna discuss right after this, right? Think about it. Jesus climbs up on the cross naked and pours himself out. He gives us his body. That's, that's our orthodox understanding of sexuality. I, in, in, in the sexual act, I give my wife a gift, which is myself, right? Which requires actually a really high level of vulnerability. Like, to just, like, like, to just strip naked and jump into somebody else's arms. Like, are they going to catch me? Right? And if they do, like, well, what are they going to think? Well, like, I've got some, like, funny rolls and creases here and there, you know? Like, right? Like, like, you you know? And I honestly, and we do, like, like, we do a lot of this in our marriage prep counseling and stuff like that. And getting kind of, like, people ready, sort of, for this new part of their life, right? Like, a lot of the time, um... People who are more self-conscious, which is all of us, but some more than others will want to start off like, you know, like having sex with the lights off or the lights dim or maybe like just like a light on in the hallway or something, right? Because the idea of being like naked in the brightness of day in front of somebody else is kind of like very makes you feel very vulnerable, right? Yes, that erotic love is very vulnerable. It is it is extremely vulnerable, and that's why it requires a very high level of trust and commitment, right? Which ties in with why the church says to like reserve that act for when you have have found somebody in which you can have that kind of trust and you do have that kind of commitment so the church isn't saying don't have sex the church is having saying have sex have lots of sex have sex all the time have sex all day and all night but but have it like this have it where you're giving yourself where you found somebody that you trust enough that you can just Throw yourself into their arms in complete vulnerability, and know that you will be respected, and loved, and honored, and that they will reciprocate and do the same back for you. So, three kinds of love. Agape is this, is this altruistic um, and love. People think of these as a hierarchy. They're not a hierarchy, they're just three different kinds of love. Some people have said that agape is the greatest love. It's not. Agape is, uh, tends to be an impersonal love. Agape is an altruistic, you give and you're expecting nothing in return, but it tends to be relatively impersonal. Ultra, uh, agape is the love with which you see somebody panhandling on the street, and, you, and he, they ask you for five bucks, and you give them five bucks so they can get a sandwich. Right? That's, that's agape. Philo is a familiar or familial love. Philo is a reciprocal love. It's the love you have with your friends, the love you have with your family, and so on. Have you ever had, like, a f- colleagues or friends at school or friends at work or whatever who ask you, Oh, how's your weekend? You say, It was great. How was yours? They say, It was not, not too bad. Thanks. And then you say, Well, what did you do? And then you say, Well, I don't know. I went to church, and then I did this, and I did that, and so on. We, were, you know, we went camping. I don't know. Whatever, right? And you tell them a little bit about your weekend. Then you ask them, How's your weekend? They say, Fine. And you say, Oh, what did you do? Stuff With whom people right and you're like okay give me more right and every time every time you you know give some they give nothing back that's just a relationship that can't progress why because you're trying to have a relationship of philo kind of love with this person and they're not reciprocating philo is a reciprocal kind of love in a family right? I love my daughter completely. There's, there's nothing I would withhold with, from her, and there's nothing I wouldn't give her, and I'd die for her any day, and yada yada, all that great stuff, right? And my wife, also the same. But there's a certain reciprocity that's expected. It's expected that when I hug my daughter, she kind of like tries to hug me back, or she's two, so right now it's a, like the no phase, but like, so she kind of pushes me away, but I know that she's doing that with all the love that she has, right? <laughs> right? So... But there's a certain reciprocity that's kind of expected. Now, Eros, what is Eros? Eros is an irrational, intense love based in attraction that its end is creationist. Something always comes out of it, right? But it's really intense and it's irrational. It doesn't doesn't make sense for the parents in the room or those who might be parents soon, soon, right? Think about it. Like, if we sat and thought about it for more than 30 seconds before having children, we might not ever have children, right? They cost you, you know, half a million to a million dollars by the time they're 18. If they're successful in life, you know, they become adults and they move away and you never see them again right they never call they never ask about you they never do anything. if they're not successful they move into your basement and they suck off of your retirement funds until they suck you dry right like leeches right so there's like no win-win situation right I'm just kidding but we still we still choose to have children why because we love them why it doesn't make any sense that does from dollars and cents it doesn't add up right but we still love our children and like You know, if you have two, you want three. If you have three, you want four. And you always think to yourself, well, we could, you know, like, what if we had a bigger family and all this, right? Why? Because you want to, but it doesn't make any sense, you know? And that's exactly what Eros is. And then it's based in attraction. There's an intense attraction. God has that intense attraction for you and for me. And because it's irrational, the only way that we can kind of understand it if even, is just to participate in it. Ever try to explain what chocolate cake is to somebody? It's like it tastes like chocolate, but its texture is like cake. Like right? To you all, you say you think I'm crazy, like chocolate cake's just chocolate cake, Father John, I don't know what your problem is, right? Like I know I think it's so complicated. But think about it, right? Like all a lot of these things are things you just have to ice cream. And like it's cold and it's soft and it's sweet and it's like velvety and it melts in your mouth right? If somebody hasn't had ice cream before, like, it's cold, like ice? No, it's it's soft. It's like, it's cold and it's soft. Like snow? No, it's like creamy. Like, okay, and it's sweet. Like, it doesn't, it's not, you just have to, you just have to participate in it. You just have to have a hand in it. Why? Because there's a certain aspect to it, which is, which is irrational. It doesn't make, it's unreasonable. It doesn't stand reason. So you can't, put reasonable arguments to it so that it could be well-understood. And then it's creationist. Something something positive comes comes out of it. An analogy that one of the fathers uses is that of a mad painter. So there's a little village, right? And there's a painter. And he he has this idea and he goes around the village for years telling people his idea and trying to get people to kind of help him come up with the, the perfect image that would really encapsulate the wholeness of this idea. So he go and he's talking, and then after a while, people just say, oh, he's just, he's just crazy, right? And then one night, one night he dreams, and he dreams of the perfect image. So in his euphoria, in his joy, he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he grabs his palette and his paintbrush and his easel and canvas, and, and he paints furiously, wildly, to capture every last detail of the dream before the image is lost in his mind. And when it's done, he heaves this big sigh of relief, (sighs) only to realize he never turned the lights on. Like he didn't need to turn the lights on, right? Because it wasn't happening like at his here eyes or in his head, it was happening on a much much deeper level. It's irrational, right? And this, this is exactly what happens. This is exactly what happens in the liturgy. Right? In Holy Communion, again, forgive me, like, forgive me for being so graphic and so so obvious, but, like, Jesus is our Heavenly Bridegroom, and we are His Bride. And in Holy Communion, He physically enters into us. Right? Like, the, the imagery is like, you know, and we don't believe this to be, like, symbolic, or to be, it's like, it's kind of like... No, that's what we believe it to be, a divine reality. We believe it to be more true than gravity or oxygen or whatever, right? So, he enters into us, right? Now, the, the mystery of the liturgy is that he is both the offering and the one who is offering it, right? Whereas, in, in like the priest, like, like the high priest himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the liturgy, we believe he is present as the high priest. And I am assisting him, like as, a, as an ordained priest, you know, right? And I say, and he makes this bread into his holy body. And I do the sign of the cross on it three times. But it's not because I did the sign of the cross on it three times that it became the body of Christ. It's because he made it this bread into his body. Correct me if I'm wrong, Gabuna, right? So it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is himself officiating, who is himself doing so he is both the offering and he is the one who is who is offering it he's all he's the priest and he's the sacrifice right whereas as an ordained priest I'm just the priest I'm not the sacrifice but in the marriage chamber in my in you know I am both the offering and the one who is offering it just like Christ St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless, Lord, until they find rest in you. And the the ultimate expression of all of these three kinds of love is is in relationship with Jesus, right? St. Anthony says, our life and death is with our neighbor. If we gain our brother or sister, we have gained God. But if we have sinned against our brother or sister, we have sinned against God. We're, we're undeniably intertwined. Your existence is undeniably tied with mine. Your well-being is undeniably tied to mine. So, let us then um, kind of ponder on this, that loving means humility, which puts the lover beneath all creatures. And that's exactly what Jesus did. To love us, He, he didn't love us from the top down. He came from the bottom and loved us first he offered himself first right? so this is this is our orthodox understanding of sexuality this is our orthodox understanding of erotic love and i just felt that we couldn't possibly start tackling questions like a christian attitude towards homosexuality or towards or towards tran- transgendered uh... persons or, or just the tr- the whole transgender you, can't, you, you know topic um, Or sex before marriage without kind of being all on the same page so I figured this would be our 37 minute introduction right and then we could go from here to your questions and then we could I could answer them specifically as they come so to facilitate that to facilitate that um, the yes sir and the team have created um, an online poll which you can respond to um, by going to this link up here Um, and we'll just we'll just tackle um, as many of the questions um, as we can there are eight so far if you text a new question it'll just it'll just show up i think at the bottom and push them all up so um, first question Uh, before we tackle these does anybody have any, any any questions that they would rather, like to just put up their hand and ask? We figured people might prefer an anonymous method of question asking, and everybody probably has a smartphone. So, we figured this would be a good way to, to go. Okay, if you have any questions, feel free to raise your hand, um, or you can text them in, right? So. Um, I'm married, and my wife says that since we're married, all kinds of sex are okay. Is that correct according to God? Um, Father Armea can can correct me. Um, but what what we commonly teach, I've asked this question multiple times of multiple people, um, and I've gotten a few different answers. And I've tried to find references for as many things as I could. There are a few like lines in the sand. The red line in the sand is always is always sin, right? So what is what is sin? Sin, like as a definition of the word, is to miss the mark. Right. So, like we're playing darts. You know, you keep hitting the bullseye, and I keep getting it elsewhere. I get it really close. I get it really far, but I don't hit the bullseye. Right. So, Jesus says, "Be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect." To be anything short of that is sin. That's what sin is. Right. And um, so, what is to miss the mark? Well, there's a couple of things in this particular context that that are, are, are sin one is um, any time where I'm using my partner like I'm not kind of all that other stuff I talked about about self-emptying love and pouring myself out and giving myself to my partner so anything that, that in which I'm like taking from my partner um, is is sin whether that is just like like uh, like you know s- uh, s- straight up like um, like a straight up usual, uh, you know, sexual intercourse, or something else, right? Um, and the other thing is, um, any, uh, any sort of form of substitution. So um, like, cause we do, like I said, we do like a lot of marriage prep, so people ask us these questions, they ask us like, what about, like, what about sex toys? There's no real like answer yes or no, but if it becomes something that I'm using instead of my partner Then then the answer is no if it's some kind of adjunct to our sex life or something Then that could be that could be okay if it creates a dependency like we can no longer have a sexual relationship without it I don't know if the answer is it's wrong But you know maybe you should give some thought to that like maybe maybe I don't want to get myself dependent on something you know that I wouldn't need other forms of sex, oral sex. There's some, some like in the Greek Orthodox Church, it's a very firm teaching that it is absolutely prohibited. In the Coptic Orthodox Church, I've gotten I've gotten answers from both sides. Are the are the co- the common answer I usually give is it's, it's it's probably it's probably fine. Anal sex, well that's like that's like straight up in the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah. Like God really was not a fan of of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So that's, uh, so that's, uh, that's, (laughs) that's uh, probably like, and if if you think about it, it is kind of a form of of substitution, uh, you know, of of what God kind of had originally planned for us as far as we, as far as we know, as far as we can tell. So again, I hope my answers aren't too graphic, uh, but uh, if you have, if I didn't answer the question, whoever wants to ask, uh, uh, can ask, uh, can can repost the question or post it differently. Um, I hope I'm not making anybody too uncomfortable. And anyone who has any questions or... or, Like, we can discuss this. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, one way where I'm, like, listening to the screen and talking to you. Like, we can, can certainly talk. Um, are the thoughts of intercourse with a person outside of marriage sinful or only the act of doing so? If so... The thoughts are from the devil, are they not? How do we maybe prevent those thoughts? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that. So, um, so yes. What Jesus says again, like we use scripture and like the, like the the fathers and the church as our guide, right? The like Jesus tells us that to look at a woman to lust for her is to commit adultery with her in in your heart. Why? Because Jesus is my heavenly bridegroom. If you are married, you are married to Christ. Through your spouse. I'm married to Christ through my wife, Mary. If you're single, you're not actually single. You're actually married to Jesus just directly. Right? So if I um, have affections in my heart. Or some girl has just kind of caught my eye. And I, I just I just kind of think she's kind of pretty. You know? And I just haven't given it much thought. like, But like that thought kind of came to my mind. And I was just kind of like... I kind of like smiled at it in my head and carried on with my day how's that gonna make Mary feel right like it's not okay (laughs) you know like I'm 100% I belong to Mary and absolutely no one else or not right like I can't tell Mary Mary you are my favorite girl in the whole wide world if it were up to me I would totally spend like like Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday with you what happens on Sunday you know right that's the like right you know like it's an exclusive like the the, it's an exclusive relationship right and it is that why because Mary loves me with that kind of love right like if we kind of just had like an open relationship where everything was kind of open right um, maybe, like, like I'm not saying that that would be okay, but I'm just saying from a common sense perspective now, like I'm not talking from a spirituality or religion or whatever perspective, just from a common sense perspective, you know, maybe if it was like there was some, some kind of mutual understanding or whatever, let me just turn this on so that it doesn't go into screensaver mode. Um, Right? Maybe that would that could be okay, right? But unless there's that mutual understanding that like this is an open relationship or whatever, then that's just not okay. Like, and I'm talking here on just a societal kind of like level. You know what I mean? Right? So Jesus, you know, gets down on one knee, and you know, with like a five-carat diamond ring, and says, "Will you marry me?" Right? There's only two right answers to that question. One of them is yes and one of them is no. But let me think about it. Can I take the ring? Can I take a look at it? Can I take it? My friend's dad is a jeweler. I want him to look at. Those aren't okay. Like those are like just disrespectful, right? Like if you took it and you went into work the next day and all the other girls in the office are looking at it and they're like, wow, really? Oh you didn't tell me you were with somebody or whatever. You're like, no, I just met this guy yesterday, right? But I figured I would just like take it out for a test drive, right? Like, everybody look at you like, what kind of human are you? Like, this person is madly in love with you and willing to, like, pour themselves out for you. And you're just kind of playing with them, right? But isn't that what we kind of do with Jesus? Like, one day I'm with him and then one day I'm not, right? The, the, see, the problem, the problem with this, why he, why he just kind of demands, and this is completely on a common sense level. Right, an exclusive relationship is because of the degree of love of the other person. Like, if the other person thinks you're alright, like, I think you're alright, you can think I'm alright, you know? But <laughs> if, if I think you're the most fantastic person on the face of the earth, and you walk around, like, spreading rumors about me, that's kind of really mean, you know? So, um, that's why, you know... I have have purity, or chastity is the word we like to use, right? Like of body, and of mind, and even of my emotions, right? And God knows, we're all human, right? God knows that on a day when you're just not feeling very strong, and this and that, and whatever, some thought comes to you, it happens to everybody. It happens to you. It's going to happen to me, and that's why I call up straight up. I call my father confessor, and I'm like, "This and this happened, and I really, I just really don't. I really, I want that the furthest thing away from me. Learn something from Father Anthony. I really love him, right? He says something, and it, and it's been uh, it's been a wealth of of like of, of of wisdom for me. Uh, but he said he said this in a talk I heard once. He said, uh, he said, I love everybody. I love men, I love women, I love everybody. And I'm a priest, I care for men, I care for women, I, I serve everybody, right? And I'm not gonna discriminate on people based on gender or whatever. But there's something that I know. Every woman out there has the ability to rob me of the one thing I hold the most dear in this universe, and that is my marriage. And I always keep that before my eyes. I love everybody. I hug everybody. I welcome everybody. I love everybody. I tell everybody out there I love them, male, female. I don't discriminate against anybody. But I keep that in mind, right? Because I need to know that I'm made of dust. And any day, any day, I could lose what I hold most dear. So I kind of keep my eyes on that. It's kind of an answer to question two. Feel free to pipe up, by the way, if, there's, if you have any comments or thoughts or anything. Um, question three. Can married couples use birth control, such as IEDs, condoms, pills, etc., without it being a sinful thing? Absolutely. Why? Because we believe that our sexuality is all that I talked about. It's participating in this great erotic love of, of God, right? Um, yes, when I'm having sex, I'm not thinking of, of God's erotic love for me, that's not like the top thing on my mind. At that moment, you're really not thinking of anything, right? So, um, but before and after, yes, that is something I bring to mind, I bring to remembrance. Like all this stuff that I was talking about, I, I revisit it, I revisit it in my mind. So yes, like, you know, um, having sex is, f- is for procreation, yes. But it is, also for, um, it, is, it is also for participating in this great erotic love that God has for us. So there's no, there's no prohibition against birth control per se. Um, we're taught only to have sex after we're married. But as far as we know, Adam and Eve weren't married and had children. So why is that okay for them and not for us? Great question. Yes, Adam and Eve never underwent a sacrament of marriage because there was no sacrament of priesthood. Right? But we do believe them to have been fully married, just as married as a married husband and wife are today. Um, And so, in fact, if you think about it, the only sacrament to precede the fall, the only sacrament that there was, in a certain sense, before the fall, was marriage. Right? So, like, our restored state, like, our whole life here is a process of restoring us back to how we were before the fall right? Adam and Eve eat from the tree, everything goes downhill, and now we're climbing the hill, Jesus like has paved the way for us, and we're climbing the hill back again with Jesus hand in hand with him, right? Well, what's, what are we aiming for? What's, what, are we, what are we trying to achieve? What's our restored state? It's actually a married state, right? But rather, where, rather in, like, than being where one person is married to another person, and not to everybody else, rather we all are married to Christ, where he is the head and we are his body, um, and he is the bridegroom and we are his bride. Um, With all the hormones and antibiotics in food, can this cause someone to be born biologically transgendered, or is this a learned behavior? I am not speaking as a priest now, but as a previous scientist. I don't think we really know. Um, and for every paper that's come out about um, a gene uh, or a gene sequence or or a chromosomal sequence or something um, that would explain homosexual you know, like a, like a homosexual expression later in life or transgendered expression la- later in life, to my knowledge, all of that has then later on been like questioned you know and the reality is of science is like the more you learn the more you realize the more you know the more you really don't know right So I don't think anything bulletproof has ever been found well does that mean that it's all like a learned behavior you know I don't know I don't know the answer to that but I can tell you one thing um I can tell you one thing is that it doesn't really matter well maybe it does matter I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. Maybe it does really matter to some to some um, to some people, but um, in a certain in a certain aspect, it doesn't really matter because either way, whether it is you know um, early experiences of childhood, uh, uh, things that have to do with family dynamics and so on, or if it has to do uh, like so environmental things that happen at a very young age or it has to do with your genetics, neither of those things are things that you choose. Every single time I get asked this question by somebody who's gay or lesbian or transgendered, they're always what they're getting at. In my personal anecdotal experience, so I'm, I understand that that's not the entire LGBT community, right, but the people that have come and spoken with me, the question, the, the, the direction this is always going towards is I didn't choose to be this way. And my answer to that is always, oh, absolutely, I agree. Like, just think about it. The rate of mental illness in the LGBT community is about 80%. The rate of attempted suicide is 25%. Amongst transgendered persons, 45%. Who chooses that? Like, who says, okay, here's a group of people who are suffering enormously. I want to be like them, you know? Yes, maybe like like an like like a very small handful of people, maybe maybe like experiment, explore, are extremely dissatisfied, have a, a, a terrible experience with someone uh, of the, of the same gender as them, or of the same uh, or or a sexual ex- terrible sexual experience with somebody of the opposite gender of them, and that kind of sways things for them, and they make part of it is a conscious choice, but. If we're gonna go with if we're gonna go with the argument that it's not genetic, then it's not something that, that one chooses one chooses for themselves either, right? It's part of the brokenness of our world. I'm not calling um, um, uh, being transgendered or being uh, homosexual or lesbian or tra- or, or, or gay a disease at all when I'm using the following analogy. It's just an analogy. Every analogy is similar in some ways and different in others, okay? But if, um, even if it is genetic, so this is to answer the people who are saying that, no, no, it can't possibly be genetic because God could never possibly create somebody to be gay. I have a whole bunch of friends, uh, female friends, that um, are BRCA1 positive. BRCA1 is a, a gene uh, which if you are born with it, you will develop breast cancer. And if you don't have your breasts excised, like removed, right, you will almost certainly 95% chance be dead by age 45, right? It is, that is a gene that you are born with, right? So God did not create Adam and Eve with, with an active BRCA1 gene. But now people are born with an active BRCA1 gene. Right, so that's just that. Like, remember the first thing I, one of the first things that I said were like three initial premises: God created the world and it was perfect out of love. We kind of messed it up somehow as a humanity, right? And you know, Christ has restored, has restored it, and is restoring it, right? So this is just—it's just part of our—it's just part of our fallen state. If the word "fallen" is very uh, is is offensive to people who are part of the LGBT community, right? Um, not fallen it's part of our distorted state it's part of our state which is different from what god created us from in the first place right whatever most gentle words you would like i'm okay with i'm okay with 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 all of with all of that right but simply said from an orthodox christian perspective we don't believe that that's how god made the world and we don't believe that that's how god intends for all eternity to be however god loves you unconditionally, accepts you unconditionally, wants you in his family absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. So the party line is unconditional love and acceptance. Hazard a guess? Hazard a guess. What is the rate of, um, of homosexuality in the Coptic Orthodox Church? In people who are currently Coptic Orthodox? How many people in the room? Let's just show of hands. Right? How many people in the room would say less than one percent? Raise your hand. Okay, how many people would say one to five percent? Raise your hand. How many people would say ten percent? Raise your hand. How many people would say twenty percent? Raise your hand. So it's about ten percent. So how many are we sitting in the room here? I don't know, about thirty people? Right? If we're representative of the Coptic Orthodox Church, maybe three of us here are, you know, either either are, like, lesbian or gay, or, or identify ourselves as that anyhow, or, or are questioning, are confused, are really not certain. Like, if I really want to marry somebody of the opposite gender and live with them for the rest of my life, you know, I don't really feel particularly attracted, or some I'm only somewhat attracted. Ten percent. So we, like we as a church, like like all of this, like gender neutral language and, and all of this stuff. Like this isn't something that we have to adopt for the workplace, or this isn't something we have to adopt for evangelism. This is something we have to we, we, we have to embrace if we love our own brothers and sisters, if we love the people we've grown up with, if we love the people we went to school with, if we love our biological brothers and sisters, and so on. When we have a question at the back. Yes, please. Here,
1: it's just a Yes. Um, relating to that. And it has to do with just discernment and how, um, how we can respond as Christians to this. I often find myself in groups where people do identify as transgendered or lesbian or gay. Um, and then I'm always faced with this interior battle where, you know, I feel like I'm an imposter as a Christian if I don't proclaim what we feel about, um, you know, people who have different sexual orientations or identities. And at the same time, and I really appreciate what you said, like the common denominators of unconditional love. And I can feel that they think I'm not going to accept them. And that really hurts, right? It
0: does. It and does.
1: I, I want to do this. So, but when I do that, I'm like, oh my gosh, am I not being a good Christian? How does one navigate that? Like, I don't want to be a chameleon where I'm like this way to some people and this way to other people. But I don't want anybody to feel so excluded and unloved. But that's actually not my my state of being, right? So how, how does one navigate that with wisdom and not feel like they're an imposter in either situation?
0: The party line is unconditional love and acceptance. Unconditional love and acceptance. Whether, whether I'm loved in return or I'm not, whether I'm treated with suspicion or whether it's reciprocated, right? Just a constant, unconditional love and acceptance. And most likely, the question will somewhere come up, and and it's come up to me. Like there are about there are about five guys who are gay who, who come to my church on and off, three who come relatively regularly. One of them is militant, like he like preaches homosexuality to me every time we sit together, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, and I'm when I use these words. By the way, these are these are words like these. These are this is like a this is like a science, and I'm not. I don't make these words up. Like the word militant. Like there's four classes, right? And that's like that's the kind of the most kind of uh, intense class. I don't know what the right word for that is, right? Forgive me if I'm not using the right words, but the word like militant is the people who are out there preaching and telling people like like this is right. You have to do this. You have to accept us, and all of that, right? There's one guy like that. There's another guy who's kind of like that. And so at one point he came up to me, and another guy, and he told me, like, so Father John, like, so then you don't really believe what's in the Bible. I was like, uh, no, 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 I, <laughs> so I, I believe, I believe everything that's in the Bible. And then he's like, so how come you still love me? I'm like, because God loves you. And so I love you. And like, like, who died and made me God, or who died and made me whatever, like the accuser of the human race, which is actually Satan, not God. But anyways, right? You know, like, like what right do I have to judge you or to accuse you? Or God put me here to love you. So I love you, right? But that, that doesn't mean that I have to agree with you. And that doesn't mean you have to agree with me. That just means that I love you. And I accept you for who you are. You don't need to change you don't need to change what you think or what you believe. Right? And I don't need to change what I think or what I believe. So I think that if you just present unconditional love and acceptance that is the best thing. And that the question will inevitably come up at some point, right? And then you'll be able to you can share some of the stuff all the stuff that we discussed, right? And say, and, the, and what I believe, and I respect very much what you believe, but you asked me, like, what I believe, so I'm just telling you what I believe. And if you ever get fed up of hearing what I have to believe, you can just tell me, okay, thanks, I've heard enough, right? And I'll just be quiet, and I'll go back to just loving you, like, as you are, right? <laughs> uh, right? But if you want to know, like, what I believe is like, you know, when God created the world, he created it, like, with Adam and Eve in paradise. And that was the paradise state. And we're all kind of on our way back to paradise. So that's how we're going to live forever, you know? So
2: you think that you and him should agree to disagree about, like, so he's Milton and says, this is the way, and, and you say that this is the way, and you agree to disagree?
0: Yes, but I don't usually go out of my way to say this is the way, yeah. because because there's so much sh- fear and shame and guilt um, um, amongst some people who who are, who are gay, or lesbian, or transgendered, and so on, so, um, like, they already know, they already know what I think. Let's take a completely different example, where you have, you know, a lovely heterosexual couple who are cohabitating, they live together, and if they live together, they're sleeping together, and if they say they're not sleeping together, I believe them, they aren't sleeping together today, they probably will be tomorrow, (laughs) right? So, right? I love you, and I accept you, and I don't think this is a good idea, right? But I'm a priest. I don't need to say, like, I don't think this is a good idea, right? They already feel judged by standing in my presence, right? So all I need to say is, I love you, and I accept you, and I welcome you with open arms, right? And eventually, eventually, they'll warm up. There'll be enough trust that they'll be like, well so you think this is okay? I'll be like, "Well, no, I, ser- I certainly didn't say that, right?" But that does it matter? Like sometimes I'll even sometimes I even won't give a straight answer. I'll say does it doesn't really matter what I think. Doesn't it just really matter like how I treat you? Right? And then people will push the question sometimes. "But what do you but what do you really think? But what do you really think I should do?" And then I'll go into all of this self-emptying love and blah blah. blah and that this is all this is all to participate in the love of Christ. So, like, he created a model for us of that. And if you really love each other, this is to the heterosexual cohabitating couple, and you really have that commitment and you really have that trust, get married, right? Like, we have a bride, we have a groom, we have a priest, let me find the witness, I'll get this all done for you in 20 minutes, right? And have the blessing of God in your life, right? There's no, like, there's, like, like the church doesn't want to prohibit you and wants to empower you, Right? But I don't even I've, I don't even go down that road until I get invited. So you're yeah.
2: extra tolerant, or not extra tolerant? Extra sensitive in your speech until they,
0: especially towards people whom I think already are are like wounded, wounded and burdened by guilt and shame and fear and so on. Yeah, there's uh, two, Andrew and Monica.
2: Sorry, um, so in either of that, not. In any sin, uh, as Christians, like brothers and sisters of Christ, don't we have an obligation to tell someone the right path? Don't we have an obligation to let them know? And I guess that's kind of like where that struggle is going, coming from. It's that I want to be a good Christian. And obviously, in some, in some cases, I have a lot of friends who they will not discuss their sexuality at all. It's pure, you know, their preference. Um, and they know I accept it, and they know I love them, and they know all of that. They know all that good stuff. And because they don't bring it up, I don't bring it up, but I feel like I have an obligation. Just as much as if I had a friend who decided to um, abuse a drug or abuse something else, I have an obligation to look at the and say, you know, this isn't what God wants us. This isn't the model He created for us. And I care about your salvation as much as I care about my salvation. And I want to see you up there with me. So don't we have an obligation to, I guess, the subject at the very middle, instead of just kind of being sensitive and playing coy until they decide to bring it up, and I understand the guilt, I understand the fear, I understand the shame, and I can guarantee you that gentleman who is incredibly militant probably doesn't have as much fear, shame, guilt, as some of the other ones who go to your church Still It's
0: the other way around, actually, has tons. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He, he has a conversation with me, and then he disappears for a year and I chase him and I go visit him in his workplace and I, I go find any way to kind of reestablish contact with him just to love him I, I I don't do any of the talking when I see him I just all I do is listen I can't even get a word in right right no no not at all is that
1: also
0: there yeah go ahead yeah
1: very what I was going to say like the world and like the society we live in right now is very love everyone and tolerate everything so
0: Love and tolerance are very different things, right? Tolerance is I'm okay with you being around, right? Love is I'm gonna go out of myself. I'm gonna go out of my way. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna reach out to you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to great expense for you. I didn't say tolerance. I said. I said unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. Right? I never said tolerance, right? I you're taking this farther I can tolerate to you. Me sounds like tolerance. Yeah, I can tolerate you. I'm okay. I'm okay with you being here. I'm okay with you working here. I'm okay with you being in my group of friends. I'm okay with your existence. Jesus didn't say I'm okay with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm o- I'm okay with you. <sighs> Somebody invites you to heaven. Fine, we'll find somewhere where we can just stick you, like, out of my line of vision. You know what I mean, right? Like, somewhere over there, right, where, like, I can, like, I'll live with it. You know what I mean, right? Jesus doesn't say tolerance, right? And, and to, to, to Andrew's point, Jesus did actually call people out. He did call people out. And he did tell some people, woe to you. And he did tell some people, what you're doing is wrong. He did. He did. What did all of those people have in common? Lord, have mercy upon me. They were all black dressers. Right? They were all clergy. They were all theologians. They were all scribes. They were all... Jesus didn't do that with the Samaritan. The Samaritan woman. He didn't do that with the woman caught in the act of adultery. He didn't do that with the thief on the right. He didn't do that with the, the, the women who washed his feet with their tears and wiped them with the hair of her, their head, and so on. Right? He did tell the woman caught in the act of adultery, neither do I judge you. Go and sin no more. He did say that. But he didn't, he didn't tell her, you know what she did was really wrong. I'm not judging or anything, but not judging judging or anything, but yeah, that was best. (laughs) (laughs) You know, right? He didn't do that. He just he just told her. Neither do I judge you. You know what's right. Now just do it. Right. So i don 't know, and like and then, like like you don 't know what I do in my bedroom, maybe I do all kinds of like aberrant, and sinful things in my bedroom. How do you know, so it gives me the right to judge this person and not to judge others if i 'm gonna like if i 'm gonna start if i 'm going start like you know judging I might as well just judge everybody you know what I mean right so like i, I don 't know I just feel like it 's not my place it 's not my place to tell to, to tell somebody right from wrong unless they ask me. Right, and the reality is is that, I think I think most people know, most people know what, or they think they know, like what the cr- Christian stance doctrinally is on the issue. They just don't know what our Orthodox Christian stance is behaviorally on the issue until we show them. I don't know. I think Andrew, you had like some something else you want to say. You kind of touched upon it, but I guess. And-
3: When I see a friend who's committing any other sin, I feel obligated as his brother
2: to Christ, someone who unconditionally loves him and wants him to gain salvation, to tell him, Hey, let's not do that again. But all of a sudden this specific issue it's kinda of like let it.
0: No, it's not this specific issue. I don't do that I don't I don't do that with anybody. I don't. I don't I don't know, I don't know who taught you what, that's none of my business, right, (laughs) right, 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 (laughs) But, but I don't, yeah, I don't know, I just, I don't, like, it's none of my business, right? It's none of my business, like, right? It's none of my business. If I have license, like sometimes somebody gives you license, somebody asks you a question. One of the key people that I serve with at church has a lot of insecurities. She's a lovely, lovely person, but she's very, She's a lot of insecurities. And she covers them up in a whole variety of different ways. She said to me no less than ten times, Father John, if I'm ever doing anything that you don't think is right, or that bothers you, or that annoys you, or that is wrong, or, or that is displeasing to God, please tell me, right? And I tell you, I pray ten million times before I say anything to her. Why? Because she's got, all, she's like she's full of insecurities, right? So I want to say something that's going to help her be more restored, like be more like Jesus. Not something which is going to make her like hurt her. You know what I mean? Advertently or inadvertently or whatever, right? So I pray and I think and I touch the waters and I, over a span of weeks, before I say, well, maybe in the future... We could try to do this a little differently. And this is someone who's given me license multiple times. I still don't think it's wise for me to just say, that was really wrong. You shouldn't do that. Right? Then I have, uh, there's other people that I serve with that are extremely humble. One guy, extremely humble. This guy, if you spat in his face, he would smile back at you. Right? So, when, like, and, and, and like, and he's my like my like my brother in Christ, and he comes for me to confession and all of this. I'm a spiritual guide and so on, and so on. so. when I see him do something wrong. I pull him aside and I tell him, you know, Habibi like you know, maybe we try this, we try that, because I know that it's not as complicated. You know what I mean? So I think it, it it requires judgment, but all of this is with people with whom I have access, with whom I have a license to do so, right? Um, with people who have invited me to have that role in their lives, but just randomly, like, people that I know or acquaintances or colleagues or whatever? No, I don't think, I don't think that that's, I just don't think that, I don't think it's right, I don't think it's wise, I don't think it's helpful, you know? Like, I think you're, you're, they're—they're not going to think very highly of you. You're ruining your relationship. You're not going to help them be a better person. They're going to be resentful. They're going to feel like you judge them. They're going to feel like the church judges them. God judges them, and God hates them. It's all not—it's all not the right thing. So, I, that—I don't know. That's me. But, Unarmia can tell us if you feel differently, Abuna. I—I oh, I know somebody from a long time ago. Amuna, um, can I tell a story about about uh Utsak, about your reverence? No, after after I leave, I should leave <laughs> but anything about you know, uh
3: suddenly uh Bokhan I am so sorry to, I should leave right now I don't I won't very far into the but uh, Abuna, John, is serving here before me and And uh, Abuna
0: may was a priest while he, I was still he, in diapers, He's so. blessing <laughs> us with the present
3: every now and then, but uh, he's blessing us always through his prayer for us, for everyone, of us, uh, always in uh, this St. coming And uh, tomorrow Abuna will be with us in, um, in St. George, um, about seven, uh, seven, 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 seven. All of us uh, are welcome uh, from St. Mary, St. George, and St. Mark. We have music no these No. Not yet. So, St. Mark is not welcome. It's not welcome. <laughs> and, uh, Abuna will pray with us uh, Saturday morning uh, here in the church. Right? Yes. Uh, I wish to stay with Abuna Amona, I learned many things from him. Sure. Uh, and uh, uh, I I wish to, to stay with us uh, all the time and the blessing time for us. and least I to try to come as much as you can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the end, I want to give you uh, this is a small booklet. Uh, if you have ideas this they should be in that's English. Yeah. Uh, about, and you can uh, you, you can exchange it uh, with the chance. Thank you thank you Yeah fire away. <laughs> So
2: you take the tolerance. Add <laughs> <laughs> to it. Or go many steps farther. I think so.
0: So um, I want to tell you a story about um, uh, a Sheabaut Abuna Arameim. Um, which happened a really long time ago, so this wouldn't be somebody, uh, somebody that you know. But I so happened to cross paths with this person, and, and tell him I used to live in Vancouver, and they told me, really, do you know Buenarria? And I said, yes. And I said, this man changed my life. They said, oh, tell me. So this uh, this this man was living a really uh, sinful life, by all practical intents and purposes, by all standards. A really, really sinful life, um, multiple uh, sexual relationships all at the same time, uh, just using people um, um, like drugs partying every like everything anything you can imagine he was actively doing at the time that he met at the time that he met Abuna. Um and he met Abuna, um and after the liturgy uh, he went to church which he hadn't done in a long time and he had communion um, not having confessed recently or anything and he, and he afterwards he felt like he should go and just confess so he went and he figured let me go give Abuna a heart attack so he went <laughs> right? and he just said he just told him everything and Abuna just sat there quietly Abuna man, just sat there quietly and then he told him you know every day we have uh, readings in the church and uh, The guy said, uh, what do you mean? And he he explained to him that there's like a a schedule of readings for like for every day of the year. And he told him, why don't you try reading those and tell me how that goes. And so the guy said, okay. So he left. So he started reading the the daily readings and he'd call Abuna and tell him, I don't understand this and Abuna would explain it to him and, and so on. On and off like that for like a couple of years. Two, three years later... I would have never told him, you know, you shouldn't be sleeping around, you know, drugs are really bad for you, you know this, you know that. I would have never said any of that to him. He never said that, and he never said any of that to him. He just kept kept in touch with him, and kept getting him to come back for confession about every month or two. And this guy is a prolific businessman. He's a f- fantastic, fantastic person. One day, it dawned on him. I met him after all of this. It dawned on him why like, do I spend, I spend all my time and effort making money? Which is essentially just a redistribution of resources. But I, who has a lot of money, am redistributing the resources to have more resources when there's people who don't have any. So he said, well, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to do that. It would make more sense to re- redistribute resources to people who don't have any. So he started devoting one business after another To different charitable causes, like the entire business, and as he did that, his businesses kept growing, (laughs) and you know now now he's got like five or six different charities that he is the sole funder. Like imagine a church which is solely funded by one person, or uh, or uh, you know a a children's charity of this or I don't I don't know whatever right. Um, not that you know how much or how little you give has, has to do anything with spirituality but he has become like a deeply spiritual person right and he's the one who tells me Bunar never told me what I already knew he just knew that I already knew it right like if I was here and I was confessing I obviously wasn't confessing my great acts of philanthropy to the world right I was obviously conf- you know so I learned a lot from that I, I, really, I really learned a lot from that it's a true story of about like a true person and a woman is obviously a, a real person. <laughs> Y'all know him. Right? Pretty real, right? How much intimacy is appropriate between couples who are not married? Pretty loaded question, but the short lo- answer is the red line is sin. So, um, and, and sin is like if you look at a woman to lust for her, you've committed, uh, you know, adultery <coughs> with her in, in your heart. So, um, if, if, uh, I don't want to cross that line, and I don't want to encourage you to cross that line, right? So don't have a conversation of, "Hey, what are the kinds of things that turn you on?" Because then you will sin, for sure, right? In your mind or indeed, right? But um, just ask yourself, like, what do I think are the kinds of things that probably turn my, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, fiance on, right? And just try to stay away from those. Wherever you think the line is, like, take one step back from that. And that should be a guiding principle. And I usually have this conversation with people in much more detail, but it's very personal, right? Um, so, you know, if you need to get per- personalized advice, feel free. But the, the guideline is, is, is what, what Jesus says. How do I approach the subject of sex with a partner who may be my married spouse, who's, who's also saved themselves for marriage, but I haven't? Um, great question speak to somebody uh, who has more experience than you. Um, Oftentimes when the person who hasn't saved themselves from marriage wants to tell the other person, they want to tell the other person out of like they feel guilty or they feel ashamed or they feel like they just owe it to them to tell them. The reality is most of the time that other person wouldn't have wanted to know. If If you are completely rehabilitated from from that, our sexual experiences have profound, uh, profound impact on us. So, you know, if you are like, I'm assuming from the question, and I shouldn't ex- assume, but if you are repentant and you realize that mm, that probably wasn't a good idea, um, and and you've confessed and you've restored your relationship with God, and you you don't have a single ounce of guilt in regards to this anymore, you're fully convinced that God has completely forgiven you and blotted out your sin, then I question really what need there is to discuss this, like, to discuss this with your future partner. And in my humble experience of, like, almost five years as a priest, it it causes a huge burden for the other person. Like, you're like, whew, thank God she took that well, right? And then, like, she is, like, her mind is spinning for, or, or the opposite, like, gender it doesn't matter who like for like days and days and weeks and weeks so I'm not I'm not advocating hiding things no I'm not advocating to hide things but I am advocating to get some to get some advice repent confess um, make sure you don't feel guilty towards this at all see Our sexuality is like the most beautiful gift that God has given us. One of the most beautiful gifts God has given us. And the devil can't take it away from us. So what does he do? He interweaves all of it with guilt and shame. Right? For those who are struggling with sex addictions and porn and and masturbation and all of that, every single person I've met, maybe there's a bias there, the people who come and talk to me, feel guilty, feel horrible, and feel crushed, and feel... feel, Possessed not like possessed by a demon, but possessed by this like like they're not free God doesn't want you to feel that way God wants you to to rejoice to enjoy your sexuality and guess what? It's not like you feel that way completely everything that has to do with sex makes you feel that way and then you get married Right, and you go on your wedding night and hoopla everything is great You know like all of those feelings of guilt and shame are suddenly gone. No, they're not right like the devil can't take can't take it away so what does he do he just wants to 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 make us feel bad about it. The devil can't take away your super bowl victory so what does he do he comes and ruins your after party, right? So don't don't live with guilt and shame. God doesn't want you to feel guilty, right? That's another thing that's been taught a lot. God wants you to feel guilty for your sins. You should feel guilty for your sins. God doesn't want you to feel guilty. If, you, if, if, if I did something that hurt your feelings or something, would you want me to wallow in guilt and shame and, uh, and you want me to feel horrible about myself? No. If I'm your friend, you just want me to just not do it again. Like Recognize I did something wrong. Apologizing would be nice. And then just don't do it again. And that's what Jesus says to the one caught in the act of adultery. He says to her, neither do I judge you. Go and sin no more. God is actually, from a moral perspective, very neutral about sin. He doesn't think that sin is bad or that sin is good. He just thinks like, like just, just don't do it. You just weren't meant for that. You are meant for something different, right? So, so, repent, confess, make sure you're free of all your guilt and shame, and then talk to somebody with, like your spiritual father, a spiritual guide, a counselor, somebody who can give you good good wise sound judgment about whether this is something you should dis- you should disclose if it's all been dealt with if it hasn't been all dealt with then deal with it so you don't drag it into your marriage um there's a beautiful beautiful sermon by St John Chrysostom about what he calls secondary virginity and he talks about how Jesus makes those who have repented and conver- and confessed virgins once again you're not any less of a person. You're not any less pure and holy and chaste and, 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 and all, those, all of those adjectives, those beautiful, white, and pure, and holy adjectives for having had previous sexual encounters. But if you haven't, don't think that, oh, well, now I can just go and do whatever I want. It will, It will send your head spinning, and it will take some time and some some real love, some real fatherly love from someone who really cares about you to help you to get out of that guilt and get out of that shame especially when you're suddenly having that conversation with the person you want to spend the rest of your life with and they say they've saved themselves for marriage and you can't say so have I. It it stinks, right? Is the purpose of life to get married and have babies and keep up with the Joneses and keep to ourselves are we to stop serving and caring for others once we find a, a, catch, a catch? And start on the path. Um, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, in the engagement ceremony, we say, like, Lord, may you may you complete what we have begun here today and may you bestow them upon your church that they may be like of service in your holy, one holy apostolic app. Church of God. right? Like, a lo- I-, I have friends that get married and then they disappear and then they reappear like two, three, four, five years later, right And I have other friends that serve God, love God and they become like they become like synergistic. like it's not like one plus one equals two, it's like one, one and one and they're like four. You know, they're like that much more productive and that much more serving God and that much more active in their life with God. Yes, you have now somebody that you have to care about. And, and you, so you can't spend all of your time looking outwardly, but you have to look inwardly. But then if, when you work together, you, you're also able to serve more. So no, absol- absolutely not. I absolutely do not agree that once you get married... And then now you have to buy a house and then everybody's buying a bigger house. You have to go buy a bigger house. That's um, what I understand is keeping up with the Joneses, right? And then your whole life becomes about materialism. And then you have a baby and then you have to have a, 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 you know, they get baptized the baby. And then you have to have a baptism party because everybody else invited you to their baptism party. So now you have to have a baptism party because you have to invite everybody else to the baptism party. And then there's the first birthday and then there's this and then there's that, right? And you spend your whole life. This is like half of my congregation. And they complain to me about this. They complain to me that they have too many social obligations to do anything in their life that they actually want to do because they spend their whole life every free moment that they have you know doing social obligations and i tell them why don't you try loving people instead of feeling obliged towards them and if you don't want to do a baptism party don't do a baptism party baptize the kid say thank you everybody for being so happy for my child for being in the family of god see you later I'll see you tomorrow at church right we do most of our baptisms on Saturdays right you know what I mean nothing against you right but you know whatever that's what we want to do right I don't know maybe I'm an introvert or maybe I'm like a psychopath or like you know like a sociopath like you know like I'm like a like you know pathological in terms of society but social interactions but like don't do the things you don't want to do right if you want to serve God, great. If you want to become a couple which is in- completely engrossed in yourselves and, and, you know, your life and stuff like that, that's fine. If, if one of you is from out of town and it takes you a long time to reacclimatize to this new place and so on, that's okay. That's fine. If whatever, like marriage is like getting hit by a missile. Like it takes time for you to put your life back together again and figure out who's going to pay the bills. And So this is like true story, okay? For all my life, having moved out of home, when I used to live here in Vancouver, I would check the mail. I'm, like, obsessive about checking the mail once a day. I check the mail, I take the bills, and I put them on the keyboard of my laptop. So I can't use my computer without paying the bills. So we get married. I'm married the the best woman in the whole wide world, as far as I'm aware. Of course, all you lovely ladies are very nice, too. (laughs) But, right? And so what do I do? I check the mail, right? And I come and I put it down on the keyboard of... Our computer, and and life goes on. And as I like check our finances, I notice like our, you know, our like, money in the bank account is like stacking up. And I'm like, wow, God really blesses married people. This is fantastic, <laughs> right? Right. And things are great. And then I start getting letters in the mail like we're gonna cut your electricity, we're gonna cut your water, we're gonna cut your cell phone. We're gonna, you don't pay your bill. I'm like, and I'm like, Mary, what's happening with the bills? And she's like, well, I don't know. Figured like. I thought you were paying them, right? And I'm like, well, no, like I put them on the, on the keyboard and then like when they disappear off the keyboard is because they've been paid. She's like, well, I didn't know that was the system. <laughs> so she was just taking them and filing them. So all these bills come and for like three or four months they were just getting filed. No wonder we had more money because we weren't paying the people we owed money to, right? Right? So just to say like, you know, cut those married couples a little bit of slack. It takes some time to reacclimatize to readjust your life to the fact that you're sharing this life with somebody, even in the little things like pain, pain pills. Um, in reference to the question about thoughts or feelings regarding another person outside of marriage, is it possible that these thoughts or feelings can be indicators of
3: underlying lacks, challenges, or dysfunction in one's marriage? If yes, how does one address those?
0: Um, it is maybe, maybe not, but it is certainly an indicator of the fact that um, I have some dissatisfaction not necessarily dissatisfaction with my spouse dissatisfaction in my life with God there's a proverb that says that he who is full or like satiated like not hungry will trample honey like you know like if you're full like I can I can present you with like the most your favorite meal and you'll be like ah maybe I'll save for later maybe I'll have it for lunch tomorrow maybe whatever right because I'm full right so so i go I go looking to fulfill that desire to pour myself out for somebody else if I don't have an opportunity to pour it out, but the primary opportunity of that outpouring of that self emptying love is with Christ and also if you're married with your partner right so um, if for any reason you know i don't have that that satisfaction of intimacy in my marriage, get some get some help. But sometimes it's a temporary thing. You know what I mean? Sometimes, uh, like it's due to illness or busyness or somebody working away or, or, or I don't know, right? So again, like like we cut each other some slack. We love each other, and then I turn to Christ to pour out my love to Him, um, uh, uh in that res- uh, in that respect. Honestly, honestly, a lot of people. That I deal with um, like sexual addictions and stuff. With one of the first piece of advice I'll give them is read four or five chapters from the Bible a day. They'll tell me, "Abuna, what about like, what about like the internet and this and that? And should I install a filter?" And I'll tell them, "Do whatever you want in that regard, but for now, just go and read four or five chapters from the Bible a day. Come back and let's talk in a month. And every month we add." One little thing. Why don't you try praying this? Why don't you this? Why don't you that? Right? When I become full and satisfied in my relationship with God, a, l- a lot. I'm not say everything, but a lot of these things change. I me switch to the
3: new instead of the top, um, because people are voting for questions, so they they keep moving around. Oh. If you do on the right hand side, yeah. If you click that um, one underneath that this. icon, no, one, one
0: down. This
3: one? And if you go down all the way down on that column. Like to where we left off? Yeah, start from
0: the from the oh, bottom. Oh, start line. from the bottom and work my way up. Yeah, out. for some Sorry, everyone. Uh no no, it's Where's good. I'm spot? just finding our spot. Yeah. Um some profits. Had many wives and were godly, King David. Why can't we have as many wives as he did? Boy, did he have a lot of problems <laughs> for having a lot of wives. And he had a lot of money and he had a lot of houses he could put all these different wives in so they wouldn't cause trouble with each other, right? Man, Take it from a married man, one is more than enough. Delete, delete, wait, pause, stop that recording. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally joking. There is no evidence anywhere in Scripture that God endorsed polygamy. There's no evidence anywhere in Scripture that God endorsed polygamy. And all of our, all of our, like, of having multiple wives, right? And all, all that we've been saying is that all of this, is us living like an icon, a foretaste, right? The the trailer, the preview of my married relationship with Christ, which is not polygamous. Like as far as we know, Jesus is my heavenly bridegroom and I am his bride. He doesn't have like a million, like I and we are his bride, the church. He doesn't have like a million other... Other brides elsewhere in other galaxies uh, anyways there, we have no reason to believe that right I'm not saying that there's no, there isn't life in other galaxies on other planets there may or may not be that's not what I 'm talking about right so so there's no like there there's, there's nothing really to endorse polygamy in scripture and the teachings um, and the teachings of the fathers and it, it had it had lar- it had largely largely disappeared. Long before Jesus, in Jesus's time, even we never we don't see anyone who's who's polygamous, right? So um, you're uh, three thousand years too late. Sorry. <laughs> right. Um, in reference to the question about thoughts or feelings towards another person outside of marriage, is it possible that these thoughts or feelings can be indicators? I thought we yeah we covered that one yeah. Um, what does community and philo look like? Oops. Uh, look like in the church. How do we fight individualism and agape when that is what is taught and supported? We don't need to fight uh, agape. Agape is agape is great, but philo is great as well. All I'm saying is that there's no hierarchy of loves. All three loves are loves with which God loves us. God loves us with all three loves. All three loves are important. All three loves are an expression of God's love, right? And God calls us towards agape, but agape has a certain impersonal impersonal thing to it right which freely exists in the church when you have a church of like 400 people right it's impossible that you're gonna know everybody personally and have a personal relationship with everybody and have a reciprocal like deep and meaningful love with everybody. Some people, you're just going to be polite to them. You, you know, some 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 people you're going to see them carrying like 16 bags out to their car and you're going to run out to help them and you don't even know what their name is, right? But they're like a human being, they're a child of God, they're your brother and sister in Christ, your father and mother in Christ. You're going to go and you're just going to help them. Why? Just because. Like because it's the right thing to do, right? Because that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus wants you to do, right? Because they're part of your body. They suffer, I suffer, right? Although I don't even know what their name is, right? So that's kind of agape, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's great, you know. Um, philo, um, Philo is that reciprocal love, right? And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that, uh, with that either, right? Um, how do couples address different expectations and libidos in one's marriage? Well, honestly, um, like something we teach in our marriage prep and we also have a marriage course that we do for married couples and all of this stuff are materials which are very, um, they're very, uh, like, like stuff I can send you. Like they're all very easily accessible. We didn't invent them. They're stuff that was previously used and we are using it and have adapted it for an orthodox context, right? The best thing you can probably do for your, um, for your sex life is communication. It's really awkward. It's really awkward to talk with your spouse about what do they like and what don't they like and what works well for them and what doesn't and so on. But you know what? Like sex is kind of like uh, you know dancing or any other like you know team sport, um, right? Like you know the more you know your teammates, the the, the better the better you are, the better the better the better you are at it right and it gets its kinda like cheese and wine it gets better with age you know what I mean right <laughs> up to a certain degree anyways right so so um, yeah but like you know God forbid and may be far from you but people you know people get sick people get pregnant uh, people get uh, people get work uh, out of town and away and so on people have to travel uh, when you have, like, when you're, like, you know, breastfeeding every third hour, like, you know, your libido, your, my wife's libido might not quite be there, or maybe it would be, or maybe it surprises you, or maybe... So it's just good to just talk about these things openly, and with a certain degree of humor and laugh about them. And that's what we, what, what we commonly... Uh, and, and you're not going to meet anybody who's more shy to talk about this stuff than my wife, but we try, like, we try to kind of have these, have these conversations. Um, because otherwise, like sometimes, you know, people do something that irritates you, and if you never say anything, then they, they would never know, right? And it's like a very vulnerable state, like we were saying. So you really kind of have to kind of, you kind of have to like offer it to the other person. Is there anything I could do differently, or I should do differently, or you'd like me to do differently, and stuff like that? How do you teach unconditional love when people have issues with English language, Protestants, Muslims, etc.? Uh Well, I'll tell you a story. Um, back in the day in the church I grew up in, before I was in Vancouver, I was in Montreal, and uh, whereas in a de- deacons meeting, I hated deacons meetings, because we'd have these deacons meetings, and we'd sit and argue and fight about the most not useful things, in my humble opinion, <laughs> for hours. So we were arguing and fighting, as we always did, right? Uh, About something, and we were were talking about language, right? And we were, you know, arguing about how much of the liturgy should be in English and Arabic and Coptic and all this stuff, Um, and uh, yeah, French, right? And and uh, our elder priest, who has now gone on to heaven, was just walking by the room, and a little kid who was sitting in the room with us ran out to him and dragged him in to try to calm the situation, right? (laughs) And he turned to him, and he goes to him, Abuna. What language will we speak in heaven? So this is a little kid trying to resolve these grown men fighting <laughs> with each other, right? So Abuna looked at the kid. It's kind of shameful that, 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 that we're all fighting in front of this little kid in the first place. But anyways, right? kinda of, Abuna looked at the kid and he looked at us and he said, We're going to speak the language of love. So if you don't know how to speak it here on earth, you're going to be terribly lonely up there. And he walked out of the room. So I don't know if that answers the question, kind of. But... You know, people know when you love them. We all have like a phony meter that's like built into us as human (laughs) beings, and we can sense when people are genuine and honest, and when they're just kind of doing this because they have to, or they should, or they whatever, you know what I mean? So I think if you're honest, and you're genuine, and you're kind, and if it's in you, if it's your character, don't do things that are not you, but you're affectionate, you give somebody a hug, put your hand on their shoulder in an appropriate way, of course, right? You know, I think, I think they're, they're, that, can, that can speak uh, tons. Now, unconditional love, there's nothing that speaks unconditional love like somebody being mean to you, right? Like, I can't show you unconditional love if all you've shown me is love, right? Of like, if you love me, like, the normal, decent human thing is to love you in return, right? It's when you're mean to me and, like, use me and abuse me and I love you in return then that speaks unconditional love. So, I know this sounds horrible, but look for those opportunities. I have a friend who prays for those opportunities. He he prays for people to be mean to him so that he can love them in return. That's like way up there. <laughs> I don't know that I'm there. I don't know that I'm there, but sometimes it's good to just have these ideals in mind. Zooming zooming along. Mm-hmm. How how do you respond to oh, sorry, how do you respond to couples? Uh, that want to live together before marriage just to decide if they're right for each other, the, um, they need to do this first. They feel it's not my place to judge anybody. I mean, they didn't ask me. If they ask me, if they ask me, um, uh, I'll tell them all this stuff that I talked about about how sex is about giving and about pouring yourself out for the other person and so on. It's not about compatibility. This whole thing, sexual incompat- incompatibility, right, is like, like, like. This like it, it it's, it's not like I don't I don't know what people are talking about. It's, to my knowledge, it's not like something that exists or is described in medical literature, psychology literature. Maybe some of you guys are psychology majors or doing masters or PhDs. Maybe you can speak to it better than I can. But. I don't I don't know I don't know what 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 people are talking about when they're talking about sexual compatibility like like the biology is pretty simple and the bits and bobs really honestly they usually fit together just fine you know um no really you know and if they don't like there's surgery to help that well. no it, it, you know things you know like can be right and there's there's really there's 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 like surgery to help like but I don't, I don't know. I really don't know what this business of compatibility is. Like, no one's been able to explain that to me clearly. Um, so, but, but my approach again is like, like I'm not here to like judge anybody or rebuke anybody or like, you know what I mean? Then they, they ask me my opinion, and I'll, I'll talk about this like vulnerability and pouring yourself out and commitment and trust. And if you have that, get married. Like, what are you waiting for? You know? Um, so that's kind of more uh, my attitude what if the entire church's experience is about tolerance not love well that's not what it's supposed to be and that might be why that might be why the church of the of the New Testament of the early New Testament had a lot seemed to have a lot more power than what we see now why are Christians obsessed with homosexuality, abortions Muslims etc. not the struggle of the people who got there I don't know I don't know um, I don't know, but I know, that, I know that people don't open up about their suffering and their struggles like, very like, easily and willingly. So maybe, maybe because we don't know people's secret histories. I think it's Henry Wordsworth, the American poet um, and like, um, like, uh, like literature person, sorry, that wasn't very eloquent, um, <clears throat> who says, if we knew the secret histories of even our worst enemies, we would find enough sympathy for them. It's not the gospel truth or anything. Just a, you know, a, a like a renowned poet, but I think it's true. I think it's true. I think if, but but the pro, that's the thing. It's it is a secret history. It is a secret. It is a secret suffering, and people don't let you in there very easily. But that's not a reason to to just profile people and hate people and judge people. Um, Follow up to how much info to share? Question. Unfortunately, childhood sexual abuse is common. These experiences sometimes result in unhealthy behavior patterns
3: that show up in not necessarily sexual aspects of the relationship. How much is appropriate to share? Should you wait until you've worked
0: through? Should you wait until you've worked through it? Wait for what? Wait to get married? And then? Uh, honestly, um, I think. Uh, I think I agree with you. These things are a lot more common than than you may think or believe them to be. Um, uh, especially if you use sort of a more encompassing um, uh, like definition of abuse, like harassment, molestation, um, and so on, right? Um, so, some of the things I've heard Will make you cry for weeks, you know. Get, get help. Like get professional help. There is professional help which is available, and um, and get help. And you're not any less of a person or any less desirable or loved or loved by God or loved by the church or loved by your partner. Um, but marriage is like marriage is like a like a uh, like a newborn baby you know, and so you, it's going to be whatever you put into it, so you want to put into it the best of you, and all of us have had painful experiences, they may be of, of a sexual nature, or they may be not, right, and it's, it's best f- for me, and for my marriage, and for my spouse, for me to be the best person that I can be for them, and I'm not any worse of a person, or less of a person, don't get me wrong, because of having had Painful experiences in my past or in my childhood, you know, or have or having been uh, an abuser or anything, right? But like, if I love myself and if I love my spouse, then then um, then get help. A lot of a lot of people who come to me with stuff like this, I don't honestly like I was a sub-specialist prior to being a priest. I don't believe like in being a a jack-of-all-trades, like a jack-of-all-trades master of none you know some people are maybe good at everything I'm not you know I'm I'm a priest I'm not a Christian counselor I have surrounded myself with other Christian counselors who are fantastic the most gentle and humble and kind and thoughtful people I've I could almost say I've ever met you know and so I try to help people, who, in conjunction with people who have, who do this, for like I want to say for a living, you know, um, and they're professionals. I can offer spiritual help. Is homosexuality a sin? If so, can it be a, a genetic? Define sin as missing the mark, not what God created created us to be, and created us to become. Yes but not sin as moral. You're a bad person because you sin. I don't think God thinks anybody is bad. I think He thinks you're beautiful and He loves you unconditionally and He accepts you unconditionally. My, my career requires traveling a lot and moving to a new city every few
3: years? years. Will that burden my spouse?
0: Could very well. It's probably a good idea to talk about it. There's lots of things you can do to work around it. Um, in our marriage course that we do, there's a session that's entirely devoted to this. We've never done it because we've always had only one or two couples that were in the situation, so we've given them the materials to do it on their own so it didn't make sense for like, like 12 or 15 couples to be like talking about this because if it didn't affect the majority of them. But yeah, if you're in the military or, or whatever else, you know what I mean? Um, it's good for you to discuss these things, you know? Uh, I... I travel a lot. I try not to. I'm trying to less and less. Um, and I try to I try to make it fun for my family. I try to you know buttress my time away with a day before and a day after if I can or or, or two days before or something and kind of make a small holiday out of it. Make it something that my family would look forward to as opposed to my family would, would detest. It's not always possible you know my wife is you know her health is kind of not the best right now and she's pregnant. So like it just wasn't a good idea for you know and we didn't know that when we like planned when we planned my trip here like 3 months ago I guess it was just God's providence. Um but even if we had a ticket for her we would have had to cancel it she's just not fit to travel right now. So you just kind of have to accept that. You know, it's it's part of life and like we use technology and we try to make the best of things, you know. Um and, uh, and carry on. Thank you very, very much for all your questions. This is probably a lot longer than, than uh, expected, and you're all extremely patient. If there's anything anyone wants to discuss one-on-one or something you disagreed with or something, please don't hesitate to come by. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.